I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to see you all. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Chris, and I serve as a lead pastor here. Uh, if you haven't opened your Bibles to Exodus 20, uh, please do so. Uh, as Liz read for us, we are going to be focusing on the fourth commandment this morning. We have been in a series in Exodus, and we've uh, taken some time this fall to slow down and kind of work through each of the commandments one at a time. And so this morning, we are going to consider what it means to Sabbath, what it means to rest. Now, one of the policies of First City Church, if you are on staff, is that we have unlimited paid time off, unlimited PTO. It's one of the perks of working for First City. We are trying to go for one of those best places to work in Bellevue Awards. Hopefully we'll get it someday. <laughs> but here's what's interesting about the policy. Even though we have this policy, it is not as if I have to tell Paul and Eric and Renee, hey, you guys are taking too much time off. Stop being slackers. You guys are abusing this policy. You actually need to get to work. The opposite is true. Even though we have this unlimited resource, for myself and for the rest of staff, there is actually a burden that I have that we're being intentional to schedule time off. The demands of ministry are great. It can, it can feel beyond just a full-time job. It can sort of feel like it's an all-the-time sort of job. So it's very important for us to be purposeful with scheduling time off. But it's quite ironic that when you are given an unlimited resource, sometimes you tend to use it less. And this is what research suggests, that companies that have unlimited PTO policies, their employees actually take less time off. Makes you wonder if it's sort of this kind of backhanded way to keep people working more. It's kind of a tricky way. Hey, have all that you want. And people are like, oh, really? Maybe I shouldn't do that, and so I'll work more. But at the heart of it, at the heart of it, and there, there might be reasons, multiple reasons why people don't take full advantage of the unlimited PTO, but at the heart of it, here's the, the reality. We struggle to rest. We struggle. We struggle to slow down and stop working. And it's not just work. There is a general sense of busyness that we all experience in this culture. In a New York Times article, Tim Creter writes this. If you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. Busy, so busy, crazy busy. 
it is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint. <laughs> and the stock response is a kind of congratulations. That's a good problem to have, or better than the opposite. I wonder, would you describe your life as busy? I'm guessing you would. I know I would. We have a lot going on. I mean, you have work, you have school, you have household chores, you have errands, you have sports practices, you have band practice, you have recitals, you have birthday parties, you have play dates, you have doctor's appointments, grocery shopping, volunteering, church activities, and that's just Tuesday. <laughs> we are a busy people. Busy. Our lives are full. And listen, busyness isn't inherently bad. It is good to live life. It is good to be active. It is good to have things to do. It is not inherently bad or sinful. But the question becomes, in the midst of all of that busyness, are you resting? Can you rest? Is rest a part of your normal rhythm throughout the week? The fourth commandment calls us to remember the Sabbath, to, to mark the Sabbath day as holy, which, as we've seen before, it means set this day apart as distinct, as unique. Mark a day in your week as a holy day of rest. The word Sabbath simply means to, to cease, to stop what you're doing, to, to rest from labor. And so what it means, part of what it means to walk faithfully and obediently before the Lord is to rest. Think of that. Part of our faithfulness to the Lord is to rest, to stop our work. But it's not just that. It's not just that we don't do any work. As the fourth commandment tells us, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's a holy, a unique, distinct day that is oriented to the Lord. Our focus goes from our work to the Lord. And so it's not just what we're not doing, it's also what we are doing on the Sabbath. Physically resting and ceasing, that is all well and good, but if that is not leading to worship, if it's not leading to a focus on the Lord, then we aren't actually Sabbathing. We aren't actually resting as the fourth commandment calls us to. So if you consider what the fourth commandment calls us to, and then you consider our culture, this commandment is a powerful challenge to our lives. It's a powerful challenge to the, our culture that is so addicted to work and busyness. And even more, it is a powerful challenge to our hearts that can be so addicted to work and to busyness. But here's the good news for us in the midst of this that we're going to see the fourth commandment holds out promise and hope to us. Yes, it is a challenge. Yes, it confronts some things in our hearts. But it does so by holding out the hope of rest, the promise of rest, the blessing of rest. And so when we go through this this morning, yes, I want us to be challenged. We need to be challenged. We are going to be challenged. But I also want us to see the promise held out. I want us to see the hope and the blessing God has for us. He wants us to walk in the freedom of Sabbath rest, not under the burden and the heavy task of busy, crazy, busy schedules, to live for something more than just crazy busy. There's great promise here. There's great hope here that we're going to see this morning. So the title of my message this morning is this, Holy PTO. Holy PTO. And here's the main point for us for the fourth commandment. Our rest honors the Lord and declares what he has done. Our rest honors the Lord 
and declares what he has done. So later in the book of Exodus, we read that the commandments were given to Moses on two tablets. God himself, with his own hand, writes on two tablets the Ten Commandments. And so there's a division within the commandments. Love God and love others. That first division, that love God command, the love God commandments, are commandments one through four. Now, we can completely understand one through three. It's obvious that one through three. Have no other gods before me. Don't have any idols. Honor the Lord's name. Like, clearly, that's about loving God. But what about rest? How is rest part of the loving God and the honoring God? Well, when we look at why we rest, we see very clearly that at the heart of rest, the heart of rest is honor and worship. In verses 8 through 11, the Lord says this to Moses, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Lord grounds his command to rest in his own pattern of work and rest. The the Lord worked. He created all things. And then he rests. There are work days, and then there is a day for rest. He marks and sets apart a day for rest. And we are to follow this pattern with our own lives. We are to work, and then we are to set apart a day for rest. We are to pattern the Lord. We are to image the Lord. And as those who are made in his image, this makes absolute sense, right? We image the one whose image we are made in. So the reason why we rest, it is grounded, it is rooted in this honoring the Lord by following him, by patterning our life after the way the Lord is. As those who are made in the image of God, we image our creator. We show what our creator is like. We follow his example. And also that work and rest are the means by which creation came into existence that this pattern of work and rest is how God accomplished creation, here's what we learn. That work and rest are built into creation. They're built into the natural order. They're built into the design. You as a human being, you're designed to work and you're designed to rest. Both. You are not a machine. You are not, you do not have unlimited power where you are always on the on position Friends, listen, when we do not rest, we violate our humanity. We go against our humanity. We do damage to our humanity. And some of us, we are feeling the effects of that damage. We are worn out. We are broke down. We are weary. We are exhausted. And our bodies are breaking down because we are violating our humanity. God has designed you to work and designed you to rest. And you honor the Lord by following that design. Imagine if you created something and that thing decided, hey, I'm not going to follow the the design that you have given me. Is that honoring the creator? No. We honor the Lord as we image him, as we follow the pattern that he has laid down for us. But here's a question in this. Did the Lord need to rest like we need to rest? 
Did, did the Lord rest because he was tired and needed a break? No. No. The, the Lord is not like a human. He, he's not limited in strength and power. The Lord is unlimited in strength and power. As Psalm 121.4 tells us, the one who watches over his people, he never sleeps, he never slumbers. The Lord didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. And this is so important. The Lord rested because he was done. Listen to what Genesis 2, 1 through 2, which is what, what Exodus is quoting. Listen to what Genesis 1 and 2, 2, 1 and 2 tells us. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The Lord rested because the work of creation was finished. It was complete. It was perfect. Nothing else to be added. Nothing else that it needed. It was perfectly constructed. And because the Lord's work was perfect, because it was complete, because he was done, he rests. And in that rest, what is emphasized when the heavenly hammers and the saws come to silence, so to speak? What is emphasized there? The perfection of creation. That the Lord is a perfect and good creator. That he has completed the work. That perfection, that completion, that goodness that God had accomplished, it's exalted in that day of rest. What also is exalted, what also is emphasized is that the Lord is the Lord over all creation. He is the exalted one. He is the authority over all creation. The Lord alone is creator. Like no one else made all that we see. No one helped him. No one improved upon his work. No one tweaked it. No one assisted him. No, he alone is creator. And in that moment of rest, as every, all of creation sort of has this moment of, oh, wow, this is done, who is standing there? The Lord alone. Who is above all things? The Lord alone. Who is in authority over all things? The Lord alone. And so the Lord's rest, it declares he's creator. It declares that he is king. And our rest does the same thing. Like, listen, friends, when, when we rest, when we cease from our work, it's not because our work is completed. There's always more work to do. But when we rest, here's what we're saying, Lord, you are the creator. You alone are above all things. You are the sovereign power over all. You are the one in who all things, you hold in your hand all things. It is by your power, your goodness, your life that I'm alive, that I have any of this. And so when I cease from my work, I am trusting you, I'm acknowledging you, I'm honoring you as creator, as king. When we cease from our work, we draw attention away from our effort and our power and our control, and we bring attention to the one who truly has all power and authority. We exalt our king in our rest. When, when we rest, we declare, you alone, you alone, not me, you, our creator and king. What you have made is good. You have made it all. You are over it all. You alone have all power and glory and goodness, and in you alone do I trust. And you alone do I depend. And you alone do I hope. Friends, rest is this powerful declaration that our hope is not in ourselves. That we are not the highest good. We are not the highest authority. We are not the greatest control. No, the Lord is. 
And we honor that when we rest. Our rest honors the Lord by honoring him as king. But there's more to it. There's more to it. Our rest is not only honoring him sort of as sort of the submission to his authority, our rest is also honoring him in worship, delighting in him in worship. It says the Lord blesses the Sabbath. He blesses the seventh day. He, he sets it apart. He makes it distinct. Now, to bless something is to say this is good and from it comes good. So, so the Lord blesses this day of rest. He says this day is a good day. This day is going to bring forth good things. And so there's a goodness to it. But blessing is also a source of joy and delight. When, when something is blessed, there's joy in it. There's life in it. There's excitement. There's happiness. You see some places in Scripture where the word blessed is sometimes translated as happiness. Two very closely connected ideas. To be blessed is to walk in a deep joy and happiness. And so when the Lord blesses the Sabbath day, he said, this is a day of happiness and joy. This is a day of celebration. This is a day of delight. And delighting in what? Well, it is the creator delighting in his creation, and it's the creation delighting in its creator. The, the Lord makes all things in six days, and on the seventh day he rests and he throws a party. He throws a party in which he delights in. He takes joy in all that he has made. It is perfect. It is good. And he enjoys that. It brings him joy. It brings him delight. He loves his creation. And then the creation, in response to the goodness and the glory of all that he has made, the fact that it has been made, we give that back to him in worship. We delight in our good creator. There is our king. There is our creator. He is good. There is joy in him. There is life in him. Look what he has given us. We worship him, we love him, we celebrate him. And so friends, the day of Sabbath, this blessed day, this is about relationship, delight between creator and creation. Relationship with God, joyful relationship with God, blessed relationship with God, happy relationship with God. That's what we get in rest. And so friends, why is rest part of the loving God commandments? Because Sabbath rest is ultimately about honoring God. We honor the Lord by imaging him, by patterning our lives after him. We honor the Lord by acknowledging him as king. We honor the Lord by worshiping him and delighting in him as our greatest joy. And we do all those things through rest. Through rest. So the fourth commandment calls us to honor the Lord. But <laughs> as we all recognize, we struggle we struggle with this one. Like, I think if we were to go through the, 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 the Ten Commandments, and especially kind of five through ten, as we're going to see, I think there are going to be some of those where, where we could say, hey, we do, I think we do a pretty good job by God's grace of, of not struggling with those things, that we, we honor the Lord in those things pretty clearly, pretty strongly. I bet this one is a different story. I mean, how many of you in here think you have Sabbath rest nailed? That your work, your, your, your pattern of work and rest in worship, man, you got this nailed. If you do, please come find me afterwards because I want to learn from you. I need you to teach me how to do this because I do not do this well. It is a struggle. We struggle to rest. We aren't a restful people. We're a crazy busy people. We, we aren't defined by a sense of rest and delights and worship and trust and dependence. No, we're, we're defined by 
preoccupation with our task list and our calendar, our work and our activities and our busyness. They are our master. They unsettle our soul and give us the sense of angst and anxiety that we have so much we need to get done. We have to get it done. We become chained to our task list, chained to our calendars. We're like Martha in Luke 10. We're anxious and we're distracted by all that we have to do. We end up running ourselves ragged. And friends, we end up so we can't see past our busyness to the rest the Lord has called us into. Why? Why is it? Why do we struggle so much to rest? Why are we so prone to let busyness define us, let it disorder our souls? Well, at the most fundamental level, just the baseline level here, is that in and of ourselves, our hearts do not honor the Lord. Like in and of ourselves, apart from the grace of God, our hearts are bent away from honoring the Lord. We want to honor self. We, we, we do not honor the Lord in his kingship. We do not honor him as creator. We do not give him our greatest worship. We do not find our deepest joy and delight in him. Rather, we are selfish. We're self-sufficient. We, we self-define. We want to live life our way. We want to fulfill our wants, our desires. We want control. We want freedom, man. And our culture tells us, yeah, go get that freedom. Go get that control. So between our own hearts and in the culture around us, we struggle deeply. We struggle deeply with resting. And here's, here's the, the, the other problem. Here's the other layer of this. Like on the one hand, as we've seen, to not rest is to not honor the Lord. And not honoring the Lord is an act of rebellion. Like when we do not honor the Lord as creator and king, when we do not worship him alone and give him our deepest affection and joy and delight, then we are idolaters. This goes all the way back to the first commandments. It is rebellion. And is rebellion worthy of judgment? It deserves judgment because we have rebelled against a good king. But here's what is else. Our attempts at controlling our life on our own, when, when we break away from the Lord and honoring him, here's what we do. We untether ourselves from the identity, from the sense of meaning and purpose, from the goodness, from the righteousness, the wholeness, the joy, the satisfaction, the peace, the security, all the things that we have in relationship to the Lord. Like there is this satisfaction, there is this wholeness, there's this peace that we have being in relationship with the Lord. And when we are oriented away, when we do not honor the Lord, we break ourselves away from that, and what is left is this giant emptiness, this pit, this alienation, this sense that something deep is missing. This, we, we, we feel like very insecure about who we are and what we're doing in the world. There's an emptiness inside. But rather than running to the Lord, we go deeper into our rebellion, and we think, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. Yeah, I feel the sense of emptiness. Let me go fill it myself. Let me do all that I can. Let me work hard to fill that sense, fill that emptiness inside me. Again, Tim Creator writing in the New York Times is, is helpful here. He writes in, this is this part of the same article, he says, notice it isn't generally people pulling back-to-back -back shifts in the ICU or commuting by bus to three minimum wage jobs who tell you how busy they are. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily. Classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. 
They're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety because they're addicted to busyness and dread what, that might, what they might have to face in its absence. Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. We have created a problem in our souls by rebelling against God, and then now we're trying to fix it on our own through our busyness and our work. We feel something, and we should, because there is something there in that alienation. There is an emptiness that is left when we sever a relationship with God, and we try to fill it. We try to fix it through work. We try to fill that hole, that, that, those things that only we can find in the Lord. We try, to, we try to get those things through our work. And so it keeps us busy, keeps us going. And so the question becomes for us, is your busyness, is our busyness an attempt to fill the emptiness? In what ways can you identify with that? Can you sort of say, yeah, that's true, that's true of me. In all of your busyness, as you consider the busyness of your day and of your week and of your life, can you see how you are grabbing for an identity or grabbing for a sense of meaning and purpose in the world? Can you discern how you're grabbing for control or maybe you're grabbing for a sense of self-worth? Can you recognize what's going on in your soul and why you stay so busy? Do you you only feel good about yourself when you're doing something? Do you jam your task list and your calendar, your family's task list and calendar, your kids' task list and calendar out of a personal need to feel worth and value? that if you were ever to stop doing all those things that you might feel like you're worthless? Do do you cram all those things in because you need to be seen and acknowledged by others as impressive and accomplished? Like, like I want people to know that I'm worth something. I want people to see me in a particular way, so I got to do, I got to do, I got to do. Do you fear that if you don't keep busy, you're going to be seen as a nobody? that you're not important, that you're not a hard worker, you're not a good parent, you're not a good student, you're not a good friend, or you're not living life to the fullest, is there's this fear that you are trying to keep at bay by your just relentless activity? Or how often are you running yourself into the ground because you're motivated by a fear that if you are not busy, if you do not keep going, that things are going to go poorly for you? And this one, I still struggle with. I mean, this is one that I have been fighting for eight years. There is still this persistent fear that I have that if I am not grinding it, then this church is going to fall apart. That if I do not put in all the extra hours, if I do not meet with every single person, if I do not put out every single fire, if I am not on it administratively, if it is not just this constant barrage of getting my task list done, that you all are going to not show up on Sunday that this is going to fall apart, the First City Church will no longer exist, that I'm no longer going to be a good pastor. And then it can just kind of go from there. This persistent fear that if we do not do, then our life will be out of control and everything will fall apart. How is it? How about for you? You got to be nonstop work or life won't go well, won't have financial stability. It's got to be nonstop, otherwise your marriage won't thrive or you won't be a good parent or your kids won't thrive in their education and activities. And here's what's dangerous for us, is sometimes we make this happen. 
Whew. Sometimes we are grinding and stuff's getting done and we are successful. We're killing it. Things are going well. But at what cost? At what cost? How's your soul? How are your relationships? How's your marriage? How's your relationship with your kids? How are your friendships going? How are you doing physically? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing spiritually? Like, at what cost? And, and, and if I can just be honest, like, for, for you type A's that really get it done, man, you get stuff done, you're kind of tough to be around. Just going to be honest. <laughs> when you're in that zone, you're hard to be around. And then there are some of us who we fail a lot, and we just guilt, and we wallow, and there's frustration. And then, and then we kill it for a while, and like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling really good. And then we blow it, and it's like, ah, I'm terrible. And so we kind of get on that hamster wheel, up and down, up and down. Do you relate to any of this? Friends, this is not how God has called us to live. This is not how God has designed us. Or how about this one? How often do you use busyness as a numbing agent? How often do you use busyness to numb? Because if you stop and slow down, you're actually going to have to deal with your sadness and with your hurt and with the loneliness and the pain Whatever it may be, guilt and shame, how often do you just keep yourself going because you know if you stop and you're silent, you don't like what's in there. You don't want to have to listen. You don't want to have to deal with You don't want to feel that pain and that disorderness and that unsettledness inside, so just keep going, keep grinding, keep moving. You won't have to deal with that if I'm constantly at work, if I'm constantly busy, if I achieve, if I exceed, succeed, if I do lots of good, then no one's going to ever know that I'm a mess inside. I don't have to feel like I'm a mess inside. And so there's no time to stop, no time to rest. Friends, that is not how the Lord designed you. That is not his call on your life. That is not what he intends for his people. That is not how he wants us to live. This is why the fourth commandment comes to us as a challenge, yes, but it comes as an offering of hope, an offering of blessing, an offering of something better. Friends, at the heart of rest is honoring God as king, worshiping him as our ultimate joy. And so is it no wonder that when we do not honor him, we do not rest? When we do not honor him, when we are not trusting in him, when we are not delighting in him, when we are not walking before him with a sense of worship, we will not rest. When we do not honor him as king, we're going to grab for control. And we're going to run ourselves ragged trying to maintain that control. When we're not worshiping him and delighting in him, we're going to run ourselves ragged chasing an identity and chasing meaning and purpose and chasing anything that we're going to think will bring us joy. And where does it leave us? exhausted, worn out, reckoning, ruining ourselves and others, relationships on the brink, spiritual and emotional pain undealt with, physical breakdowns. Now, friends, there's a great cost when we do not rest as the Lord has called us to rest. And he's called us to something better. 
He has called us to something better. The the Lord calls us to to lay down our rebellion, to lay down our striving, to lay down our fear, to lay down our anxiousness and our angst, to lay down our self-made identities and our self-made meaning, and to live in the good of the rest he provides. Friends, the Sabbath is not a burden to crush us. Like like the world and all its demands, that, that culture of crazy busy, that's what's crushing you. That is what is going to crush you, the the world that wants to lie to you and put you on that hamster wheel of performance where you're constantly moving, constantly doing, trying to gain some sense of meaning and purpose and idea. That's what's crushing you. The enemy wants you crushed through your crazy busyness. The Sabbath comes to offer you freedom, offer you joy, offer you life. The Lord wants to set you free. He calls you to live in the goodness of his kingship, to experience the joy and delight that is in him. And this is what the Sabbath points us to. The Sabbath points us to that God is a good king. He's a good creator. But also that the Lord is a rescuer and a redeemer. Later in the book of Exodus, the Lord again speaks to Israel about keeping the Sabbath. And this is what the Lord tells Moses to tell the people. This is in Exodus 31. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. The Sabbath is it's a sign between God and his people. Well, a sign of what? Well, here he says that the Lord sanctifies them. It's a sign that I sanctify you. The word sanctified literally means to make holy. It is a sign that I, the Lord, make you holy, that I have set you apart, that I have made you different and distinct. And how does the Lord do that? How did the Lord do that for Israel, and how does the Lord do that for us? Through rescuing and redeeming us. The Lord rescued and redeemed them out of slavery, out of a harsh life, out of a life of no rest, living underneath harsh masters that demanded more and more and more from them, that drove them into the ground with all of that work, all of that demands, the Lord sets them free. Now come rest. Come out from the slavery, out from the burden, out from all of those demands, and come rest. This is what the Lord does. And then Israel, each week, each week through the physical practice of Sabbath reminded themselves and it reinforced in their souls, the Lord has rescued us. The Lord has set us apart. We are now different. Israel was reminded. They celebrated their deliverance. Reminded themselves that they had once been in slavery and in hard labor, but now they were free. Now they could rest. They were reminded that the God who creates all things and reigns over all things was their provider and their protector. Remember back in the spring when we looked at when God provided manna in the wilderness for them on the Sabbath day, they weren't to gather any there. Why? Because they were trusting the Lord, not the bread. Sabbath, in the Sabbath, they were reminded and they practiced and they were strengthened in the fact that God is in control. God is caring, caring for them. So rather than being anxious and angsty, Rather than thinking they had to control, they could trust him. They could rest. They could put down their work and say, the Lord, he has all of this and he has me, so I can rest. I can take time off. And here's what else. In resting, Israel not only honored the Lord, they were also declaring 
what the Lord had done. You see, their resting one day in seven was utterly unique in the ancient world. No other nation did this. And so Israel, by resting that one day in seven, they put on display, here is what it means to be part of the people of God. Here's what it means to be rescued and redeemed. Here's what it means to actually find rest in relationship with Yahweh. Like they declared to the nations a rest that comes through being rescued and redeemed by the one true God. They were showing, hey, we're not who we used to be. We used to be slaves under hard labor, but now we are the set free people of God. Now we rest. We are different. See what the Lord has done. Their resting was a declaration to themselves and to the nations what God had done. And friends, the same is true for us. The rest Israel practiced during the Sabbath, like this was a foreshadow, this was an image, this is a glimpse of the rest that is found in Jesus. Hebrews 4.3 tells us this, that we enter the true and lasting rest of God by faith in Christ. And, and here's how Jesus accomplished that for us. In Hebrews 10, we read this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. Same language as Exodus 31 the image there that Jesus dies on a cross for our sins. He is buried, but then he is raised on the third day, and then he ascends into heaven. And what does he do? He sits down. What is that a sign of? It's done. Jesus is resting because it is done. The work is done. The work of new creation is done. Jesus has accomplished it. Jesus has rescued and redeemed us through his life, death, and resurrection, full and complete forgiveness for all our sin. Shame and guilt, they are swallowed up by his mercy. The power of sin is forever broken by his resurrection. And now we are loved, we are welcomed, we are part of the family of God. A son, a daughter, an heir. If you are in Christ, you have been rescued from slavery to sin through Jesus Christ and his perfect salvation. If you are in Jesus Christ, you're no longer under the burden and the painful toil, toll of sin if you are in Jesus Christ, you're no longer under the burden of trying to control your life. You're no longer under the burden of trying to fill the emptiness. And you're no longer under the burden of grabbing for an identity or grabbing for a sense of meaning and purpose or grabbing for a sense of self-worth. No, you've been set free from all of that. You're no longer under that burden. In Christ, we've been made holy. We've been set apart. We're different we're being sanctified, which just means we are being transformed more and more to be like Jesus. We are the rescued and redeemed people of God. And as the people of God, we honor the Lord and we declare what he has done. Like, why do Christians Sabbath on Sundays? Why is it that we gather on Sundays and no longer Saturdays? Well, in one simple, simply put, it's because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And so we celebrate, we gather on the day that Jesus was resurrected. But there's more to that meaning. Because listen, in creation, it was work, then rest. Six days, rest at the end. In new creation, it's rest on the first day, then work. We go from work, then rest, to rest, then work. In new creation, we're not working for rest, we're working from rest. Like our entire identity, who we are in Christ because of what Jesus has done, what Jesus has finished, what Jesus has accomplished, our lives are defined by rest. 
We're not striving. We're not toiling. We're not trying to accomplish anything. We're not trying to perform. We're not trying to earn anything. No, we have it all in Christ. And because we have it all in Christ, we rest. And then now we can work from that in freedom. Jesus has changed all of creation. The whole order has been changed through Jesus Christ. We now live from this place of rest, church. It's what defines us. And when we live this way, when we choose to rest, when we choose to honor the Lord and not follow the hamster wheel of performance that our culture tries to put us on, that stands out. That's different. And that declares what Jesus has done. That shows who we are in Christ and what Jesus has done. And it shows something has changed. Something is different here. And so we declare when we rest, we declare what God has done through Jesus Christ. We declare that great salvation that he has accomplished. We declare the rest that is ours in Christ. The forgiveness and the freedom and the rest that God has given us. So church... This call to rest, this call to rest, it's a tough call. Like, let's be honest, it's hard to rest. Because of our own weakness, our own sin, and because of our culture, it is hard to rest. We have so much fighting against us, so much pushing against us. We are pushing upstream in a very strong river. Like, this is real. And this is why God gave this as a command, an active thing. God wasn't just like, hey, just sit back and be passive. This will be easy for you. No, he put it there in the center. He put it in front of them. He gave them practices to do this because he knew they were going to have to actually be proactive. It takes work to rest. (laughs) But friends, this is what God has called us to. This is the life that God has called us to. So what does this mean? Just in way of conclusion, let me just say, give kind of two categories here. First, this absolutely means we need to rest physically. We aren't machines. We are intended to rest as a way to declare that we are limited and that we are trusting in the sovereign power of God and not our own control. Our own bodies, God has designed our own bodies to remind us of that. <laughs> like we have a built-in reality called our bodies that remind us whether we want to be reminded or not that we have to rest that we are limited and so friends you need to rest and look i know different people's lives and circumstances and jobs it's not you know a perfect work six days and then you know a nice day off i know that there are challenges sometimes just in our life circumstances but friends are you doing everything you can to set aside a day of rest because god has called you to it Are you honoring Jesus? You can say, well, I got this circumstance, this circumstance, and I understand that, and I know that it's hard, and you got to work through that, but the end of the day is your heart oriented to, I need to honor God. I need to honor him by resting. Me and my family, we're going to rest. We're going to set aside our work. We're going to set aside activity of labor, and we're going to rest. We're going to enjoy each other. We're going to enjoy the Lord. This is going to be a day where physically we're like, no, we're setting this aside because we trust God. He's got it. We can set it aside for a day because he's got it. And so you need to be physically resting, taking a day off. But it's not just about that. Even deeper still, this is a spiritual rest. As good as it is to take time off, if you're just taking time off and you're just sort of zoning out, 
if, if it's just like, hey, let me just go, you know, do fun things. I mean, you should do fun things, but, but if it's just about sort of the, the physical side of it, then, then you miss the deeper point. The physical was intended to lead to the spiritual, to the delight, to the worship. And so, friends, your physical rest needs to lead you into a spiritual rest, and that spiritual rest is giving your heart and your mind and your devotion to the Lord. It is a day where I say the Lord is front and center here, and so it's gathering with God's people to worship. It's spending a day celebrating and rejoicing in what God has done. It's being with your friends and family and doing that together. There's a sense in which our hearts on this day are focused on the Lord uniquely. Yes, they should be focused on the Lord every day, but in those days we we have responsibilities, we have tasks. This day, there's something different and unique about it. And so we celebrate that. We worship the Lord. We delight in him. He's front and center. And friends, that will do something to you. I dare you. I dare you. Carve out a Sabbath rest. Take time off. Delight. Make that day about the Lord and see what it does to you. See how it begins to affect you internally. Because listen, friends, if we will not rest, if we will not honor the Lord, we will not overcome the junk inside. We will be slaves to our busyness. We, we will be at the mercy of the culture and all that is trying to demand at us. We will continue to chase identity out there. We will ch- continue to try to grab meaning and purpose. We will try to perform for people and find our sense of self-worth. We'll do all of that stuff on the hamster wheel if we will not rest physically and spiritually. Because it's only when we are in the presence of God, when we are worshiping him, finding our delight in him, that those idols, those things that we found identity in, begin to die. So we need to rest spiritually and physically. And so church, I know this is hard. I know this will be a challenge, but what God holds out for us is worth it. Life, freedom, joy, declaring to this world what our God has done. And so church, in our rest, let us honor the Lord and declare what he has done. Amen? Let's pray.